0: This is Latour Live with Dave Latour on News Radio WHP five eighty. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another spectacular episode of Latour Live. I am indeed your host, David Latour, for the next hour. With me, as always, is my wonderful effervescent co-host, Frank Schofield. Frank, how are we? Up, oh, his mic is off. His mic is off. How about that? Can you hear me now? It's a pleasure to be here, Dave. Thank you. And then uh, we have a special guest as our producer today, none other than Don Johnson, uh, is on the big board today.
1: It's a great uh, day to be Sonny Crockett on the radio.
0: Yes, if I uh, just uh, tweeted out on our Latour live feed a picture of uh, Parksey behind the big board there with his, uh, I think that's a summer jacket there, sort of tan, sort of light it's a light frilly coat and then of course you have the baby blue t-shirt we can derive no other conclusion that this is your Miami Vice getup
1: i i just don't know i admit that i am not a slave to fashion and i wish i could gra- be a Listen, graduate of the frank scotton you, no, you are on
0: shoes. you you are a slave to fashion or you would not be dressing that way don't deny it
1: then, um, Look at
2: you. Look at you right it now. It could be the last in the you, closet. You are sunny. Yes, it was. Day. It could be the that, last in the closet. That was it, Frank. You no know what happened? You know, well, here's Mr. what happened. tour doesn't get to that situation. He has his people take his dry cleaning in and out regularly. <laughs> I think that's fair.
1: Here's what happened. <laughs> of course. Because you know. Dave was wearing a nice seersucker jacket last week. So I was looking for a jacket to wear to this thing that I have to do and I found this jacket down there and so I brought it up and I decided to try it on today see if it would wear and work. Michael Boyd Clothiers is the official uh, clothing Michael Boyd's Uh, Men's Shop is uh, the official clothing
0: company of Latour Live. And listen, I think you look fantastic. And of course, for the first time ever, I'm sort of dressed somewhat yes. down today. Shorts, fleece. I can't really hear myself. What's going on here? It's on the other side of the over there. Yeah, there we go. There we go. And I'm sort of dressed. I'm sort of dressed down today. But I, uh, Gus had Gus, my son, uh, had his wisdom teeth yanked out today. So I've sort of been on uh, oh, Mr. Great. Mom duty. Mm. Mr. Mom duty all morning. They're great when they
1: come out of... Uh... Uh,
0: he's like, he was Mr. Tough Ass until we got there. You know, Mr. High School Graduate Wrestling Stud. Like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. And I goes, don't need any yeah. anesthesia, boss. Yeah, Just... oh, then he sits there in the chair and he goes, uh, uh, they're going uh, to they use any needles. And I'm like, uh, yeah, they're going to use needles. They're going to put a... Uh, uh, they're gonna hook you up to a, what do you call it to knock you out? Anesthesia. Uh, they're gonna put a um, IV, have, IV, an IV into him. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Drip. I appreciate that. Put an IV into you to <clears throat> excuse me to knock you out. And uh, then he, you know, came to and he had the gauze in his mouth and he was. Uh-huh. Oh, they're funny. They're funny when they come he out was of anesthesia. And he's like,
1: "What's going on?" What and, you? and you can have him confess to anything at that oh, point.
0: I know. And then the whole drive home, he was whining because it hurt. And oh, I'm yeah. like, dude, you only had three of them yanked. You only had three wisdom teeth, not four. Yeah, really. I said, you only got three yanked. Your old man got four. Suck it up, Gus. Yeah, suck it up. I mean, these kids today, you know, these millennials. Track star, wrestler. I mean, these millenni- I mean, you think, you know, he's been in more pain than that.
1: John Cena threw him down so many times, he'd be tougher than that.
0: I would think so. I would think so. Hey, what'd you think about um, the big news this week? Donald Trump and North Korea. Are we happy?
1: Frank still has a smile on his face and a, <laughs> and, a, and a chub in his pants.
0: You have a chub in your pants, Frank? About no. Trump and North Korea and no. Kim Jong Un? No. Do we think that? What do we think? Parksy, I'm interested. Excuse me, Mr. Crockett, I'm interested in your opinion on Trump North Korea because I know what Frank's is. I want to know what your opinion is, Parksy.
1: I thought at first when listening to some of the coverage, I thought it was very, very important, historical, and significant. But then when I listened to Bill O'Reilly point out that Trump basically does this with anybody he meets, he builds them up as part of his strategy session. He builds them up, compliments them, and then that's his way of negotiating and then brings them down. So this whole thing where he was talking great about, you know, one is a uh, wonderful leader, cares about his country, saying all great things about him, it basically was a strategy for negotiation where he's just going to then tear him down. So,
0: but do you think it was a productive meeting? I think, you think it, so. How do you compare this with Iran, with Obama and Iran? Because, you know, that wasn't lost on me. The irony of that. I was not a big fan of the Iran deal uh, or a deal uh, that we just gave them $6 billion in cash, yes. put it on an airplane and yes. sent it over there. Uh, money that's going to be used to, for terrorism. Uh, but I also know that, you know, this is a man who brutally murders his own people. Yes. And but I also know that politics is never clean. Right. You know, it is a messy, messy business. And people want us to not do business with a country that does things l- that like the North Koreans do. Well, then we can't do business with China. We can't do business with Cuba. <laughs> right. Yep. I mean, we cannot do do business with dictatorial regimes, but we do all over the world. And the bottom line is we're either going to try and denuclearize the Korean Peninsula or we're not over over, um, the atrocities that he commits upon his people. And I just think the world is a messy place and I'm all for trying to make the United States safer, uh, if at all possible, denuclearizing North Korea and trying to normalize relations and then work within that framework to bring down the regime because think, nothing has worked for 50 years. And I
1: think you, too, understand this being on two sides. You're a businessman, but also you deal with a lot of people in politics. Answer me this, Batman. Yeah. Are those two different worlds in negotiation? I always thought that a businessman would make a great political leader. Now, I may be wrong with Wolf. I may be wrong it's a with great Trump. Question. But, you know, you know this, that can you be a better businessman and deal with idiots terrorist despots like this using them as like a business negotiation i don't think
0: it's business or politics i just think you either have leadership or you don't i think it comes down to that and i don't think you need to compartmentalize people as politicians or business people can they get a deal done can you be a strong leader you know they basically want trump to get up during that press conference and say all the things he used to say about kim jong-un he was a dictator and he murdered his own people. He's not going to say that while he's trying to negotiate a peace with North Korea. So then he gets criticized for not saying it. I'm simply saying, if we want to make the world a safer place and we need to work with different countries, there's only so many things we can do. We can't ever make it as black and white as I think many liberals want it to be, which is, uh, yeah, you need to change everything you do within your own country, and you need to denuclearize or we're not going to talk to you. I don't think that works. But I also understand there's a little bit of hypocrisy there because I was not a big fan of the Iran deal. Um, But what we have right now with North Korea is an understanding, is not a deal, and we'll see what they do. And if they do the right things, then we're going to work with them. Iran, for me, it was, here's everything and... We hope you work with us. And I just think taking the steps now that we're doing with North Korea is a better approach than what we took with Iran. But I certainly understand people who are saying you're trying to have your cake and eat it, too, by t- attacking President Obama and now supporting President Trump. I am cautiously supporting President Trump. But I think all of us understand that North Korea can go back to being North Korea at any second. That's my take on it.
2: Frank? Well, nothing's changed. Nothing, Nothing. Nothing's really changed. Well, sure it has. Um, sure it has. Okay. Well, we talked to them. That's well, they've agreed
0: to denuclearize. They sent home all their political prisoners. I mean, that is okay. that. Those are those are significant.
1: You're at the table with bringing yeah. somebody who you called rocket. Little rocket, rocket man, man, little rocket man and you were on the brink of pushing the button between two countries just weeks ago and now you're sitting down at the table and frank I, I think you know this because being a businessman and being a negotiator and being in sales you know what it's like to go in and deal with some of the people like that and how to negotiate Are you Am comparing I
2: my clients to kim jong-un
1: I I think you might. I, <laughs> I think, think you just did. might. I think, I think you just you, might. I think it, you just. That, I bet you up. could. Is I that, bet you could. Is that what he said, Dave? I think you just
0: brought it up. Uh, I here's something Frank can talk about. NHL Finals. What'd you think? <laughs> what'd you think? I think they're still drinking beer and in the fountains in, in, in Washington. Washington. I think it's one of the biggest parties I've ever seen. How about that picture of Ovechkin with the Stanley Cup in bed the next morning?
2: Did oh, you see true. that one? It's great. We'll and put it know, up pe- on Twitter. People in Canada are all upset about how they partied through Vegas, how they tore it apart, how they ripped apart oh, for Washington. God's sake. Shut up. No, I'm telling you, they, they really haven't. Shut up, Canada. You know, I, I, in watching that game, and just knowing so many players on, on the club like I do, I was, and you know, I'm not a big Ovechkin fan. I do think he's one of the greatest players of all time. Sure. I was genuinely, you felt, I felt genuine you felt happy joy. for them. I felt really happy for yeah. him, for what he's been through. Yeah. Because you know he worked hard. It was a definite, you could see, you could see the joy of relief the, actually li- get the pressure
0: lifting Ugh, off of
2: him. Do you feel it? You know who it reminded me no, of? No, you were watching. What was he watching? Westworld, remember? He was watching. You didn't no, watch no, the I finals. The yeah, I did. Yeah. I watched the end.
0: I watched the end. You know, know who it reminded me of? We were deceiving of? you. Oh. You know who it reminded me of? It reminded me of when Steve Young won the Super Bowl yeah. back in, like, 95, and there was no Joe Montana, and he won with the... You could still see him hugging that Super Bowl trophy. Like, you could mm-hmm. tell the monkey... Th- the huge monkey was off his back, and that's exactly how it seemed with Ovechkin. He could never get past the Penguins. Right. He could never get past Sidney Crosby, <laughs> and he finally had a Stanley
2: Cup that he could lift. It really was, I thought, a great moment yes, in sports. It was. It was. I, and I, and I, I was not expecting it either. I wasn't expecting that moment to happen when he grabbed that cup and raised it up. I was like, wow, this." you got a little tingly. I was like, check this out. This is cool. Kind of neat, wasn't it? Yeah, very, very cool. And it was a fun series, too. I Some of those games okay. were closer. It just seemed like Vegas kind of ran out of gas. You pretty much (laughs) knew, knew. even when they were down by, even when they were leading by a goal going into the third, you knew they were going to lose. Oh, you knew. Caps were just going to destroy them.
0: You kind of, you could kind of tell after two games that. The The sad
2: part is the skill disparity that the Washington Capitals decided to remove Hershey Bears head coach Troy Mann at the end of the regular season. They wanted to move in a different direction. I don't think they thought they were going to go to the finals, but they fired the head coach of the Bears, who developed all these players that you have on your Stanley Cup team. He developed every probably 10, 12, 13 guys. Yeah. He was, <laughs> he was on he was on NHL Network last night. And the closing line was, hey, congratulations on having your former players win the Stanley Cup.
0: You know what? He still gets a ring. He still oh, gets a Troy ring. Oh, Troy man. Yeah, he'll still get a ring. Yeah, he'll still get a Stanley Cup Are ring. Are you sure about that? Yeah, if you're part of the team in any way, shape, or form during the season, you get a ring. Even I if you had know. a guy get one shift of ice time, he will get a, a Stanley Cup ring. That's how it works. Yeah, that's an you interesting You heard point. the Troy man is going to get a ring. He will absolutely that's get a ring. That's an interesting point. Frank, find that out. Yeah, You know you that for a fact? Yeah, that it happens all the time. The Penguins fired a couple years ago, fired their head coach right before the playoffs. They won the minor the league coach? Cup. I can't remember who it was. Okay, well, this
2: is a minor league coach. Oh, this he is the didn't Bears coach.
0: coach. He didn't, oh, he didn't coach the... No, Barry Trots is the
2: head coach of the Capitals. Oh, yeah, he's not going to get one. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I misunderstood what you are saying.
0: Yeah, I no, thought you were telling me their coach,
2: they changed their
0: coach right no, before Barry the No, Barry Trots. they
2: were going to get rid of Trots at the end of the year. He was yeah, going to yeah, leave. And know. that's why they fired below. They were going to have a whole change. It's just ironic. It's, yeah. It's inside stupid stuff. Yes.
0: Hey, it's the uh, first segment of the books, gang. We've got uh, three segments to go. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about a close friend of ours uh, who left us last week. We'll be right back here on Latour Live, WHP 580, WHP 580.com.
1: Frank's favorite
3: songs.
0: (laughs) Do that again. Aw. Welcome back to Latour Live. I want
2: that to be my ringtone when you
0: You love that? You love that? Hey, guys, just remember you can listen to our show anytime in the iHeartRadio app, the WHP580.com podcast page, or subscribe to our show on iTunes. Of course, our show airs every Saturday at 2 p.m. on the Mothership, WHP580. Follow us on Twitter tour Live, and you can also follow me, Frank, and you on Twitter if you're paying attention. Welcome back to our show. Uh, we lost a dear friend last week. Um, for me, not just a friend, but uh, a, a business partner and I think one of the really good guys in, in central Pennsylvania, good guys in Harrisburg, and I know he's close with you too, Frank, uh, by the name of Nick Laus, um, for those of you that have been living under a rock. And don't know Nick. Uh, Nick uh, has been instrumental in a lot of great restaurants. He changed the restaurant scene in Harrisburg in central Pennsylvania. You know, he learned his trade through uh, the family business Italian pizzas and subs out on Dairy Street. Everybody knows where it is because it has some of the best pizza around. Uh, Then he went on to create incredible restaurants like Cafe Fresco uh, in downtown Harrisburg, which really changed the scene in downtown uh, another great farm-to-table, we took over the whole farm-to-table concept with Home 231, which is on North Street in Harrisburg. And then uh, I I knew Nick for years and, and jumped at the opportunity to invest with him in a new venture, uh, Cork and & Fork. And then later, uh, he opened Cork & Fork Osteria. And I just have to tell you, um, as somebody who had spent many a nights in his restaurants and Shared a drink with him and and a lot of laughs that uh, we will definitely miss Nick laus. I'll miss him as a friend more than anything, but I, I think our community lost a, a really great restaurateur and and somebody who uh, made Harrisburg believe it could be something that a lot of people never thought it could be. He brought uh, talent in from outside the area, culinary talent. He brought uh, cutting edge stylistic restaurants and really just sort of, uh, modernize the whole concept of, 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 of what it means to eat American food in, in these, in these restaurants, high cutting edge American food and, you know, simple menus with great selections, wonderful pizzas, Korean food. I mean, I could go on and on and on, Frank,
2: about yeah. what this guy did. You know, what and when, he, you, when you think Nicklaus, what do you think? Um, He was a pioneer, really in central PA, as far as the restaurant scene. Once he launched off on Fresco, then he took it, he perfected that on Paxton Street, where it was a great, you know, just the service, the speed that you get your stuff, the perfection of the quality of the food, um, just the expectation of getting the same thing and and the high quality of it. And then when he moved downtown, you know, the Asian-American fusion, he, he had that concept of Fresco. He goes downtown, and he's going to have the same pizza shop and wraps down there. That was there. out by the East Mall. Yeah, it's out by Cafe. the East Mall. A lot of
0: people don't know that they're yeah. You know, they always always think like of
2: Cafe Fresco downtown. And that's but- when I met Nick. It was yeah. probably back in way back when the, in the in the, in, uh, the early two thousands. Um, that's when I was introduced to him, and we started. I started helping him with advertising and working with him and help promoting it and all that. So then he goes downtown. He takes it, that concept from Cafe Fresco, which is everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. He he nails it. He gets it right. He's going to move it downtown. By the way, he's I going. I don't
0: mean to interrupt, but it was so cool. He took a great place that had great dinner and lunch, but also decided to serve breakfast. Yeah, and, few, and in a stylistic, well, cool way, and nobody else does it that way. It's like three different restaurants in any given day.
2: Right, the Cafe Fresco concert.
0: No, the I'm ca- sorry, to interrupt.
2: You. Yeah, no, no worries. So he takes it downtown, and he's getting ready to launch it. And I'll never forget this because I'm I'm in and out of that place. You know, hey, Nick, what's up? What are we doing? What do you want to get on the air? When do you want to get going? And yeah. He's ready to launch this during the day, this this sub and you know wrap place and everything like that. and He wants to have fine dining at night. He wants to he he brings in his buddy Tony. They're gonna he's going to run the back of, or put up with a menu and put it in the back, and it's going to be Asian American. There's no Asian American fusion places nowhere in Central PA. But here's his issue: the way that people worked it with Fresco, you go up, you order your food, you sit down. He was going to have that at night also. So he's yep. getting ready to launch. All of a sudden, Tony talks to him like. He stops everything because he has to reinvent it and now he has to have fine dining with like great silverware, great people, great waiter service and all that stuff. He had to stop production and reinvent it and go back around and put it back together. So now you have two different places. Now you have a great place for lunch. I don't know if you notice, what it looks like for lunch isn't what it looks like for dinner down at cafe, no, that's my point.
0: It's like three different restaurants. You walk up. It's, it's you a, walk. It was an
2: amazing. And no one, no one's doing that stuff. No one, no Still one. not doing it. And I'm talking with curtains. I'm talking with bench placements. I'm talking stuff that comes out. It's it's like it was like a Houdini trick. Yeah, it was like sleight of hand. And he and, and the the stuff that he was doing was just phenomenal. He got the great chef and Travis and everybody. It was like Rick's place in Casablanca. Everybody went to Nick's. Everybody rolled through. Cafe Fresco. Mm-hmm. You know? So then he puts that together. Now, he gets that all worked out, making good money. Things are it's the talk of the town. Ta- it's great. Fabulous food. No one's doing that. He says, "You know something? Let's put up a great nightclub upstairs." Exactly. Level 2. I'm glad you brought that up. And he brings up level 2. So then that a, has waterfalls. A high end, There's pearls. A
0: high-end, a high-end nightclub. And then they bring in some of the best DJs on the East Coast. Yeah. I mean, people that demand top dollar in some oh, of the best nightclubs in New around. York, Miami. That's it done. I mean, he said, we're going to do, if we, that was a great thing about Nick. We're going to do it right or we're not going to do
2: it. Yeah. And we're going to be the best or we're not going to do it. And then, like you said, he rolls up to home 231 and develops that. That's the first farm to table.
0: Yes. Yeah, first farm to table. And, then everybody, at at, and, every, every, and now everybody does.
2: Everybody it. did farm to table then. But he was the first one. He had that beautiful patio out back. You sit at that patio out back of Home thirty one, you could be in Paris. You look up at that and see what you see. It's the beautiful set. It's just a perfect backline.
0: I've always said that, and not a lot of people realize this, but Home 231 has the only private dining courtyard in Harrisburg. It's beautiful. In it's, Harrisburg. It's a
2: secret. You see, it is really, it is that, a, that courtyard. It's a hidden, se- it's a gem.
0: Yeah. No, it, it, it really, really is. And
2: what Nick used to do was, he'd drive to New York and have five restaurants down. He would do research. I'd go with him he'd go up there he, he he would go through all these places and go I need to go here here I like this idea this idea then he'd go to Philadelphia he'd know then he'd go to Miami then he'd go to Baltimore he had he he would take and look at what everybody else that's being forward in the restaurant industry was doing and get it and then you know and then, then he did the small plates then he brought it to us
0: then he brought it to us right. in central Pennsylvania and and made us realize how great things could be and then it was
2: a small place yeah. with cork and fork and nobody was doing small plates. Yeah. Nobody. I have to, I,
0: I have to tell you, um, you know, when the whole idea of Cork and Fork was brought to me and like, do you want to be an investor? And and I always wanted to do something to help my hometown, Harrisburg. Yeah. I always wanted to invest in the city. So I was proud to do it. But what really made me excited was Nick. Oh, being yeah. a part of something with Nick Louse <laughs> yes, yeah. because he was the best because, you know, my wife and I, we'd like to go out to eat a lot. And we went to his places. I mean, we were we we were we were always at cafe. And you Fresco. know what it was?
2: It was how he trained his waiters. It was how he trained his backs. Thank you. And he would sit down and and he would do test runs once a week. That he would go to a restaurant, sit down, and they would the waiters, the new waitresses, or even the experienced ones would have to come over and wait on him, give him a meal like he's a regular customer, and have notes. And he would like critique them, help them out. He had expectations that every waiter, everybody that touched a customer was properly trained, they knew the menu, they knew what they were saying about the wine list, they knew everything, and that experience was enjoyable for every customer out there. Even, and and e- it really was. And and we can't It's the we small can't stuff. overemphasize enough.
0: When he would first open a restaurant, he would overstaff the restaurant because he knew within the first two weeks, especially in an electronic social media world, if you develop the reputation you developed in the beginning was the one that either meant success or doom, and if people wrote you had bad service, it was over. What more people want? It's been proven time and time again. What more people want, even more than great food, is they want great service. Great service. Service is was paramount. Key. He
2: was, and he was rough on his waiters and waitresses. Oh. He trained them really well. He trained he, them well. And the managers, high expectations. One of the main threads that goes through all these places that goes through fresco Cork and fork level two home there was a, when i did the radio ads when we would go down and put yeah. the ads it was always the same there was one word metropolitan he wanted to bring a different feel to central pa that didn't exist here because nobody was doing it and he knew that that feel he wanted to bring a city life a different new york feel a, a big busy high-end feel to central pa every ad dave i swear to god had the word metropolitan in it, and it applied to all his places. You know, about two weeks before he died, he uh,
0: approached some of us about opening a new Mexican restaurant on the yeah. West wh- Shore. And we would be all in on it, you know? I mean, I we, we're we all going to miss out on what Nick Laus would have done with a Mexican restaurant in central Pennsylvania. Uh, I he, mean, it would have been friggin' fantastic. And I just think it says... I don't think people are going to realize just what we lost here for a while until we've lost Nick for a while. It's so new and fresh right now in our minds and everybody's been hurting and it's been a long week for a lot of people. And I just think of his family and I feel so bad for Nick's daughter and, and, and his wonderful family. And, and you know, everybody who knows him and loves him have had a really tough week. But the, the, the region in general is going to start feeling this. Yeah, six months down the road or so, when a guy of his vision is gone and there's nobody to replace him.
2: And if he loved you, I'll tell you. What, if he, he loved you, he'd do anything for you. Oh, and he busted my chops. Oh man, he was so hard. He was great at it. Oh my God, he would he would dismantle me so quickly. I wouldn't. Even, it took me like 15 minutes to stop stop the barrage until I could get to a normal conversation. He was a master. You know, I just say, I just I feel bad.
0: You know, I saw him, we were, I was going out of giant about a week or ah, maybe two weeks ago. I was going out of giant. He was coming in and I had to get somewhere really fast. Yeah. He's like, do you got, do you got 10 minutes? And I'm like, I don't. I said, I'm really sorry, man. I had to get somewhere to pick up my daughter. And I just feel bad that I didn't have that 10 minute conversation with him, you know, because a 10 minute conversation with Nick, you always learn something. You yeah. always learn something and you just knew how deep he thought about everything. And you knew that he loved people. He, he, he loved He loved people, and he was a great guy. And Nick, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to miss you, and we love you. And uh, it was just so important to spend 15 minutes here today to talk about Nick Laos because we're all going to miss our friend. We'll be right back. Latour Live, WHP 580, WHP580.com. We're live with Dave and Frank on News Radio
1: WHP 580.
0: let see what you did there. You worked a little, I think, Caddyshack and golf. There's sort of some golf effects there. Is that correct? Yes, Indeed. Lead us into what uh, as as somebody who loves to watch golf and play it very poorly. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. This is U.S. Open week, and uh, this year it is at the historic Shinnecock. Uh, country club. Is it a country club um
3: Chip? I think it's Seneca Golf Club.
0: Dave. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Hey, welcoming in <laughs> Carlisle Country Club Golf Pro, <laughs> one heck of a golfer, one heck of an instructor, Chip Richter. Chip, thanks for being with us. Well
3: thank you for having me. Glad
0: to be here. So Chip um who uh I think has done pretty well in some US open qualifiers, by the way guys. I mean the guy the guy can the guy can play. I wanted to have Glad him on to talk to a little here. bit about I wanted wanted to talk to him a little bit. What's that, Chip?
3: What were you saying? I said that was 15 years and 35 pounds ago, but back in the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, back in the day. The Spanish
3: destroying golf.
0: Back in the day. So U.S. Open, Chip. U.S. Open (laughs) at Shinnecock. Tell our listeners what they can expect from this course, the the historical significance of Shinnecock.
3: Well, and you know what? That's something we could go on for forever. But uh, to me, the greatest open venues that we have here are Shinnecock, Oakmont, and Pebble Beach. I just think they're all fantastic layouts, and they always produce great champions. The history of Shinnecock is really interesting. It's one of the five original clubs that founded the United States Golf Association back in 1894. Wow. Uh, There was Newport Golf Club in Rhode Island, St. Andrews Golf Club, which was in Yonkers, New York, Chicago Golf Club, the Country Club up in Brookline, which is basically Boston, and uh, Shinnecock. And uh, they got together and founded uh, the United States Golf Association, which has grown into the governing body we have today for the game of golf. Uh, Shinnecock was originally uh, 12 holes designed by Willie Davis in 1891. Uh, a guy named Willie Dunn came along and put six more of them in. And uh, about 1901, they had a U.S. Open there, and there, <laughs> there was too many people that broke 80, they said. So they brought in... <laughs> They in, yeah they were like they were like that even back then huh yeah so they brought in cd mcdonald and seth rayner to do a redo on it in 1901 um and then in 1937 william flynn came in and did another redo on it and william flynn a wonderful designer who also designed locally the country club of harrisburg so no kidding a lot of great history there amazing wonderful golf course and it's going to be a great test huh. I don't think you're going to see a fluke winner this week. You're going, to, you're going to need to have a complete game to win up there. Hard to
0: believe it's been like 14 years since they were there. I know they had some problems at the last U.S. Open with the uh, greens, and they were watering the greens during the final round. But, I mean, like you said, it's a legacy course.
3: It really is. I mean, there's so much history up there. You've got the Redan hole number seven, like you talked about, and they did have a problem. The wind kind of shifted on them a little. They weren't ready for it. They had a bad hole location uh, and the USGA kind of got a black eye over that, and unfortunately, Shinnecock got a black eye over that too, and they, they shouldn't have because it's just a it's a great venue, but they, they have that now. The, the agronomy has come so far in the last 15 years with testing the soils, et cetera. I can guarantee you that will not happen again. So let
0: me say this to you. My team that I pick because I'm in a high-stakes fantasy golf league just for the majors and the players, here's my team with the $1 million salary cap. Justin Rose, just listen to me, Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, Kuchar, and then on the cheaper end, I got Tiger Woods and Steve Stricker. Um, I I would imagine you think I'm going to win the tournament now, correct? Well,
3: yeah, I mean, I think that you you just can lock in with that and just go ahead and
0: <laughs> What do you You, think? Suck, what do yeah, you suck! What do you see? What do you see there, Chip? What do you see, like, if you're picking somebody, if you got a handful of guys, who are you looking at?
3: uh you know i'm looking at basically if you're talking about the guys in the top 20 that i think i like the best i'm looking for ball strikers you're just not going to be able to chip and putt your way you're going to have to make some up and downs but if you're not you can't you can't just keep having 15 footers for par it's not going to work so sure uh, we love Dustin Johnson, the way he's playing. Justin Rose, amazing ball striker. I'm going to say, though, out of the top 20, my two favorites. I love Henrik Stenson. He just hits it solid. He plays well in the wind. You know, they're calling for 15 to 20-mile-an-hour winds on Thursday and 10 to 15 for the next three days. So the wind's going to be a factor, and you're right there on the sound. So that's kind of a heavy ocean wind you got uh-huh. in there. Um, and the other one I like is uh, Tommy Fleetwood. You know, he finished fourth last Boy, year. Boy, he's a good player. He just hits the ball really well, um, and uh, I, I think that no one's talking about Stenson or Fleetwood, and I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them do well. Do you think uh, I should start, change
0: my team? Do you think I should change my no, team? No, I just,
3: think you should. That's kind no, of what he's want, telling you. I don't want you to change it because I, this is my team, so I don't want you to steal my thunder here. But dark horse-wise, I like Kuchar, too. I really do. Uh, Peter Uline is really starting to play quite well. He sure is, um, Uline. Um and then, I, you know, he, he never does anything, but I love the way this Rafa Cabrera-Bello plays. I just love his golf swing. You,
0: you've been on him for a long time, but he never delivers in a major. He sort of hangs around for a couple rounds, and then he fades. He's I like, know. He's like, a, oh, what the he heck did. is that guy's name? like I Mar- Kepka used to be. Yeah, and, and the guy who uh, wears all the waste management stuff used to have the, uh, uh, who the heck GDM. is he? No, he's another big, fat, white guy. Charlie Hoffman. Yeah, Charlie Hoffman. Charlie Hoffman's like always around <laughs> for two rounds. I can't stand Charlie Hoffman because I've been. Why? To, I've been. I'll tell you. What, I've been to a couple tournaments and he never acknowledges the fans. Not even a tip wow. of the cap or a, or a slight hand raise. I know he's focused and everything, but who are if we you, to judge? If you can't give the fans two seconds, I'm not a fan. Just that simple. Yeah, maybe that's what he needs. Maybe he has like a, an issue. What do you think, Chip? I think Phil Mickelson goes overboard in acknowledging <laughs> it fans, but just I, think, blows I, think, me off. I think Charlie I think Hoffman. I think Charlie Hoffman's just a bit of, of a stooge.
3: Well, I don't. I can't say that I've ever really looked at him from. The, I don't think I've ever watched. Him. I don't think I've ever seen him in person, except at the Masters. And I usually didn't. How about any those cuts.
2: white belts he's always wearing too? <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> Stop <laughs> interrupting. This is a serious interview, here, okay. Frank, and you're messing it up. <laughs> and you didn't interrupt <laughs> me. I, oh, yeah. I forgot.
3: <laughs> those 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 green gloves and white belts and and that surfer dude hair I'm I'm with you on that but I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, he is from Southern California though, so. Yeah. More got, in, I mean, more importantly, who's
2: doing the broadcast and what's up with the broadcast team? That's what Fox, affects me. Fox is doing. Oh it. my god. So we got to listen to what's his face?
3: Train wreck. Joe,
2: yeah, Joe Buck. Yeah, oh Joe Buck. I
0: hate yeah. listening to him. Do you chip? Do you don't you don't like Fox uh, doing the US Open? I hate it.
3: Well, I mean, here's it can't get any worse. Right. So, <laughs> I agree. Well, they got rid of Greg
2: Norman, so it got better right maybe there. Maybe the CW should carry it. That'd be better.
3: <laughs> I think if they let Azinger and Curtis Strange do all the talking. But, you know, God bless Joe. But you just, you can't talk to people who really know golf and you don't know what you're talking about. And He sounds, he, he, I guess he's a good baseball announcer, but Lord have mercy, he shouldn't be calling he's me. He's
2: tough. This. But they do have that, they track that ball, don't they? They track, they had the ball tracker.
3: Oh, they got all, yeah. They had they the tracer. All, yeah, I
2: like that. I do like that. But every every channel has that. Crap.
3: Yeah, they but they the don't use it. So.
2: Masters didn't have it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they no, they didn't.
0: Did yeah. Okay. All right, whatever. Hey, Chip, <laughs> so <laughs> when yeah, you were younger, <laughs> you need to... You I'm need so to, happy. I just year. blow you off, Frank. I know. Why am I here? Am I getting yeah. paid for this? Yeah. Like, why am I here? Do you mind if I interview Chip? <laughs> Chip, oh, Chip, Chip when you were a young buck, a young pro, yeah. I think uh-huh. you were down in Florida, and you got to meet quite a few pros. And the year that... The year that Ernie Els won Oakmont, I think it was back in, uh, 90, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember when it was. Um, yeah. but he was based in Florida and, and played at the club you worked at. Can you kind of, it's one of the more funny, fascinating U S open stories I've ever heard.
3: Yeah, well it was, he did, uh, it was actually the U S open at congressional in 1997 okay. and uh, he won Oakmont in 94, and then he won again at Congressional in 97. And uh, Ernie was a member at Lake Nona where I worked. We had the David Ledbetter Academy there, and we had about 30 tour pros there. And uh, we had a trophy case in the pro shop. that often had trophies when guys would win a tournament. They'd display it there, let the members come in. At yeah, Lake Nona. At Lake Nona, yeah. Right. So... <laughs> Uh, two weeks after he wins the U S open, I guess he'd kind of done his celebrating and he was ready to get back to work. And he brought the trophy and said, would you like to display this here? And we're like, yeah,
0: yeah the U S open and the original yeah. U S open.
3: trophy. Oh yes. It's the real one. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we displayed it there and the members had a great time having their picture taken with it. And it was just, it was just awesome. I was, I was cleaned it. I would shine it. I put that nasty <laughs> pink polish all over it and shine it up. So everybody would smudge it up, but it was pretty cool. And, you know, it late. I'm going to say it's probably around October and November. He comes in, and he and his agent, they were going to do a Golf Talk Live show at the Golf Channel with Peter Kessler back when he did those one-on-one interviews, and they wanted to take the trophy with him. So they grab the trophy, and they go off on their way, and the trophy never came back. Uh, and that was fine. Ernie goes over to overseas for the winter. You know, the tour's basically stopped, and he shows up again in February of the next year about ready for the Florida Swing. And uh walked in the shop, and I said, Ernie, I just want to thank you for letting us have that trophy. So many people had their picture taken. It was great, and we really loved it. And he got this blank look on his face. He says, what do you mean? And I said, well, I just thank you. You know, it was really great to have it. He said, where is it now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of the most sacred trophies in sports.
3: I, I said, I don't have the slightest idea. You took it, and then, to my knowledge, it's never come back. And he said, Oh, my God. He said, I bet you that's what's rattling around in my trunk. <laughs> <laughs> How long was it in his trunk? Well, he left it, I'm going to say, you know, November. And so, I mean, we're, we're two, three months here. Now, he's overseas. He's not. So
0: ready. months later, this thing's been in his trunk.
3: So he he, uh, he says, he, Ernie lived just left at the 12th T at Lake Mone at the time. And uh, we go out there, we, we hop in a cart, and he's just like borderline panicked. I, I can't believe this. Uh, I, I know. And, and he's not a panicky guy, but right now he's, you know, he's starting to panic. So we get it. We, we, we go in the house. Liesel, his wife's sitting there and she says, what are you doing here? And he says, we can't find the U.S. Open trophy. And she gave him this look that I'd never seen until I got married and did something stupid. And it's <laughs> that look that all of our wives. Did. <laughs> yeah. How dumb can you be? Like you, you
0: moron. Me?
3: So we go out in the garage, he pops open the trunk he 's got this little maroon Lexus sedan, and lo and behold the the, the lid's over on one side of the trunk, and the trophy 's over on the other. <laughs> <side>. <laughs> he hands it to me, and he says, "Do not ever give me this back again
0: sure <laughs> people oh, listening man. just for people listening to our show, we put a picture of chip and 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 we 're with uh, Carlisle Country Club golf pro Chip Richter. We put a picture up of Chip and Ernie holding that trophy, posing with that, that trophy That's together. Awesome. <laughs> I think in earlier times, before he left it in his trunk, I would imagine, Chip. Yeah. I think yeah, this, this yeah. wasn't after the recovery. And uh, so if you go to our Twitter feed, Latour Live, you'll see that. We'll also retweet it and send it back out there. Chip, in the, in the last minute that we have you here, we need you to pick one player for the U.S. Open. Who is your champ and why? All right.
3: I'm going to tell you what. It's probably sentimental, but I really, honestly think he's got a puncher's chance. I'm going to say Phil Mickelson. Oh my god, you are so (laughs) soft. Really, you are such a softy. You just made the
2: the interview with that
3: pick. (laughs) Oh,
0: I can't stand that guy. All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Chip. You have the floor.
3: You look back. Statistically, he has driven it better at this venue than any other U.S. Open venue. He's been in the mix. He loves New York. New York loves him. Hey, New York's a tough place to play. Very okay? sure. Very true. You know, I mean, ask Colin Montgomery, okay? If if, you, if you're if you endeared with the fans there and they love Phil Mickelson, everyone thinks it's a no-brainer. He'll be the Ryder Cup captain when it's at Beth Page, and it's probably true because they love Phil Mickelson up there. Uh, I, he's The fairways are just wide enough. He's got the kind of short game where he's going to be handle, able to handle those tight lies around the green probably better than most. He's already won a World Golf Championship this year. Look, I, I just—it would be a great story, and for it to happen at Shinnecock would just be, you know, the the icing on the cake. So, I'm gonna say Phil Mickelson. I'm not telling you I'm picking him, but I'm gonna—I'm I'm not picking him in my pool. But if you ask me for one name, watch out for Phil Mickelson. There you go.
0: Chip Richter, Carlisle Country Club. Chip, we really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to learn how to play golf, or if you want to get better at golf. There is no better pro in central Pennsylvania to take a lesson with than this guy. Chip, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your time.
3: Thank you, Dave. It was a
0: pleasure to be on. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. See you. That was Chip Richter, and we'll be back with our last segment here on Latour Live, WHP 580, WHP580.com. The tour live lives on our podcast page at w h 580com You know, this is a band, The Wallflowers, that I thought would do more. I, I mean, so it was did Jake- I. That's, that's well said, Dave. It's Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's I loved kid. All, I loved all the songs. He's good looking, you know. And then they had this album, and he was kind cool. Of dis- and he was cool, and they disappeared. I now mean,
2: he took another kick at the can, and it didn't go. He just does it. He has all the money in the world. He needs. Right? No, I don't think he's at it. Hey, you know. The music industry, the film industry, it's all a game of chances. I just thought these it's guys are going to be the biggest thing I like ever. the, the wall Wallflowers, flowers, yeah. It should have been Jacob Dylan and the Wallflowers, you know? Whatever, yeah. I mean, you yeah, had the Hootie, the Blowfish, the Wallflowers, Counting Crows. It was all that rocking it through, you know? No, you're right. Counting yeah. Crows coming to Hershey in August, by the way. I'm Not going to U- By the way, I'm going to U2 tomorrow night.
0: I know you told me you've every for the last three shows, you've said you're going to tell you I get it. I (laughs) I have good seats. Noted. I know good seats. I'm glad. I'm glad. So listen, so a couple updates. One thing we didn't talk about with Trump is he's seriously considering decriminalizing marijuana at the federal level and leaving up to the states to decide.
1: Frank, I like Trump for that reason. That's what I'm
0: wondering about, how libs feel, how the liberals are going to feel. I mean, you imagine being a pothead in California and Donald Trump, well, California, it's already legal. You imagine being a pothead in Florida, you know, and you're a beach bum and everything about Donald Trump is everything that you hate. And here's the guy that's going to decriminalize marijuana. That has got to be confusing.
2: That's the move.
0: Yeah. That's why he's doing it.
2: Yeah. And then plus, plus, who does he hate? Who does he hate in, in the political scene right now? Jeff Sessions. Yeah. And what is that? Sessions is so. anti marijuana. Oh, my God. Gateway drug BS, all that So crap. he passes that. That's just, that's why he's doing it. That yeah, makes sense. You
0: hear what our friends in Jersey are doing uh, tomorrow. We tape on Wednesdays. Tomorrow in Jersey is a very big day, a day I'm happy about. At 11 a.m. tomorrow morning, New Jersey will start accepting sports bets. Oh, wow. Two uh two casinos. Well uh one casino and one racetrack. Um what is it? It's the uh it's the Borgata, Atlantic yeah, City's sure. top casino. I love the Borgata. Yeah, they're they're opening a parlor and uh, I believe uh, Monmouth Park has been preparing a preparing about with this for several years and they were working with uh, uh, a gaming company, a sports gaming company called uh William Hill out of Europe.
2: Have uh, you heard about Hollywood? What they're going to be doing, how they're going to be handling the transition, where they're going to put it? No, because Pennsylvania,
0: you know, I think to Pennsylvania's credit, and we've said this, they, they position the state for sports gaming, but I think we're just getting into the application process in Pennsylvania. So it's going to take a little time. Whereas New Jersey wanted to be, look, Delaware was first out of the gates. Uh, They, they are now doing sports betting. New Jersey starts tomorrow. And I would imagine, I would think Pennsylvania is going to be third. So in it, in 50 states, you know we're a state known for pulling so up the rear in a lot of things. You know I I put the over under at October first,
2: so I think the and over under is right around there. That whole scene's going to change out there in Hollywood. Oh, I think it'll change a lot. Yeah, yeah I said he, that to someone. I was watching the horses. Uh, don't forget, I was out watching camel races and ostrich races the other night. And I said to my friend, I said, <laughs> "See all this? This is all going to change pretty drastically once sports betting comes back in." Don't forget. Don't forget though you're going to do, be able
0: to do online sports betting, which you'll be able to do in 30 days in New Jersey. Mm. In 30 days, they open up online sports betting. So it remains to be seen how much it will change. I might be a little austere in the beginning with my investment in a physical location, see how that continues, and let that and, and the online business drive how much I invest in, in a sports gaming facility on site. Because if you're taking a ton of action online – so we do need do? that much space. You I have know. to go
1: to the casino's website or you go to betyourass.com and, and you
0: go to through the casino. Only the <laughs> oh. betyourass.com No, definitely not betyourass.com. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um I, I believe you would go to betyourass.com <laughs> for uh, uh card parlor games. Okay. Do you
2: do you know anybody that bets pretty regularly on sports?
0: Uh do I know people that bet pretty regularly on sports? Mm. No, because it's only legal in Las Vegas.
2: I know several people that yeah. bet every week. They'll yeah. say Oh, I got, I, got, I got the Orioles tonight against the Yankees. I got yeah. so-and-so. Yeah. And, and it, I'm always amazed by that story. Could you imagine if he would have made that shot? If he would have made that one shot, or if he, that guy would to have walked out of bounds... I'd be, you
0: know. Well, I'll give you a point blank example of that it was the uh, NFC divisional playoff game this year where the uh, Minnesota Vikings caught that hail mary pass at the uh-huh. end of the game against the New Orleans Saints. It pushed the, it pushed the total and it pushed the line. And Vegas said that that one fluke play changed the course of tens of millions of dollars yeah. for sports. Bettors. Or how
2: about the Cleveland? Uh, the and that's just legal sports betters. What about the basketball game when the guy didn't know what the score was and he just. Does whatever he does to alter that game.
0: I'm telling you, man. There's going to (laughs) be, but people love to sports bet. It is a multi gazillion dollar illegal business every year in the United States, and it's about time states are starting to
2: pick up. How do you feel about college sports ever being uh, wagered? What's interesting
0: about New Jersey is you will not be allowed to bet on New Jersey college sports. The idea being it could tempt people to fix things in state. You know, college is in play. College is absolutely in play. College should be in play. I mean it's it's a sporting event that people want to bet on no, and if you're going to sports
2: bet I like the tickets. Let's Go for it. You get you, p- you pick five if you get three of the five games. What then- do you think that was? That was illegal. Oh, I know. That
1: stuff was illegal.
2: If you get five right you I win $25. That. No, you used to win like 100. You put oh, like really? 10 bucks down. You have five three of the five I used to love
1: that. BetYourAss.com is available as a website. (laughs) We can buy it. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) B e t. Do you guys want to go in on
0: that? We should get that. We
2: just throw out bets. I'll throw in 20 bucks. We just throw out, wait, here, bet this this one. Bet this one. Why don't we make that the homepage for the tour live? (laughs) BetYourAss.com. Why don't we? Hey, uh... Real quick. <laughs> I like that idea. Dude. What you watching on what you watching on TV? Oh, uh, you got me I hate you. What you watching on you TV? You know exactly. Westworld. You sucked me back in. Westworld. I was out and, and now, now you I've dragged, ba- me, you back dragged me back in. And do you like it now? You like yeah, thing? i was good with it. I'm good with it. I like it.
0: I like the direction it's going. On. I think it's fascinating. I'm down, there's two episodes left. I'm all caught up. I am much more into this season than I was last season, and it's fascinating to see the backstories of the some of these
2: robotic characters. That Da Vinci episode really neat, huh? Oh my god, when he said that one thing to him when he figured it out.
0: Yeah. Oh, pretty neat. <laughs> that was huh? a, oh my god, it was, it was like an oh
2: my god moment. It was, wasn't it? It was when, like, when Tony, the final episode of The Sopranos. <gasps> Did you um? Do you watch the NBA? Finals? Were you a Sopranos guy by the way? Uh, I was okay.
0: I don't like Italian American <laughs> stereotypes it's as an great, Italian.
2: That's one of the greatest yeah, series of all time in, TV. I in I
0: wasn't into it that that's much. The, really? I was not into the Sopranos that much.
2: Oh, comedies! Do you like comedies? Half-hour comedies? I'm not big fan Friends, of comedies. The Office. Do you know I mean, The Office? Never is watched on, The Office. The Office is on. Every minute on Comedy Central. That's how sure. my family watches The Office. The I can tell you more Dwight jokes and Steve Carell jokes. I love Cheers, but I was not. I, I've moved away. <laughs> You're dating yourself a little bit. I there, know. But. I just don't watch. I just don't watch many comedies. Hey Parks, I liked how Dave said he dressed down today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know I dressed out. It's a polo a <laughs> you know, button. I'm down. wearing shorts though. I'm wearing shorts. I'm wearing
0: shorts and I'm wearing slip on beach shoes. I mean that's that's friggin'. Do you have like loafers and little drivers? you have little These lo- are not loafers, have and loafers? I don't wear drivers. Do you have penny loafers?
2: No. With a little penny in it? No. With a polo? I did in high school. And did you have like the, the sweater that you would no. fold over and tie in a knot in no. front of you? No. no.
0: I think you did. <laughs> you were a proud. Parks, did you watch any NBA? Did you watch any of the no, NBA finals? No, I hate to really him yeah. out. I think it's ironic, I just wanted to say. It's that ironic we that, the NBA? No, that, that LeBron now has lost three out of the four, last three out of four finals to a super team when he was the guy that basically came up with the super team concept out in Miami. Want. Who wants to go with that, me? They say everybody pulled together and now yeah. he's getting his ass kicked by the greatest super, this super team would have easily his, beaten his Miami Heat super teams. I interviewed Michael Jordan one on one. Oh my way god! Way back. Oh my god! Do
2: you consider him? Do you consider LeBron the the greatest? Because I consider Jordan. I consider Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to be the greatest basketball player of all really? time
0: because he's the all-time leading thing? scorer. And no, that was Will Chamberlain, young man. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, um, I I he was unguardable and he was the best player at his position for 25 years. That, to me, is the greatest player of all time. However, I would argue that LeBron James is a better overall talent than Michael Jordan, but it's like comparing Tiger Woods and, and Jack Nicklaus.
1: Yeah.
0: Jack Nicklaus is the greatest golfer of all time. Uh, Tiger Woods is the greatest, is, is the most skilled golfer of all time. You know, and 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 Nicholas has more majors, so you have to say he's the greatest golfer of all time. But if you put those two together in their primes, Woods Woods would crush. Well, you Nicholas. can say that about hockey. And I think LeBron is better than Jordan, but I think Jordan of those two is will be considered a greater basketball player of all time because he's six and zero in the finals. He you know he willed teams to win. I don't think LeBron does that as much. No. Although, in all fairness to LeBron, his team has been the underdog in six of the eight finals he's been in. But he's got to win finals as an underdog. He did it once for Cleveland. I give him credit. But he only did it because uh, what's-his-name from Golden State got suspended for a game and it turned the whole series around. I can't think of the guy's name right right. now. But
2: I know most people at home know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, Well, you can say the same about Gretzky in hockey. I mean, Gretzky's considered the greatest of all time. But would he be the greatest right now in today's game? No. No. And I actually thought Mario (laughs) Lemieux was better than him. No way. Absolutely.
0: No way. Mario Lemieux is better than Wayne Grass. That's a story for another day. And you
2: don't have a hockey show, and I do. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Right. But
0: you know what I do have, Frank?
2: But I interviewed Michael Jordan one on one. Did you? No, do you know what I have? And I've also interviewed Buddy Hackett. Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham Hotspur.
0: Greatest of all time. Can I go? Hey, guys. Thanks for being on our show. Thanks for being with us today. We had a great time. Special thanks again to Carlisle Country Club pro Chip Richter breaking down the U.S. Open for us. Frank, as always, it's an honor to be with you. My happy, on-air Happy fiance. Father's Day,
1: guys. Happy Father's Day,
0: everybody. Oh, is that this weekend? Yes. Yes, happy Father's Day and Parksy, Have a great vacation. We'll see you in about three weeks. All right, got it. All right, gang, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week here on Latour Live.